0: As we uh, as you turn in there, if you remember right, the first three chapters of Ephesians were super theological in nature, and theology just simply means what do I believe about God, and what because what, what I believe about God, it affects all of my life. If I believe that He's angry and He's harsh, that affects the way that I even interact with my children. But if I look through Ephesians and see that I am chosen, that I am loved, and that I am perfectly paid for, and it affects everything. It affects your, your marriage, which is what we talked about last week. It affects your, your kids and how you interact with your kids. It affects your, uh, your job. And thinking through that, that's, it's like Paul didn't just change the subject when he got to chapter four. It's all part of the same subject. And he says in verse one, for um, let's go back to verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen. Let's go home. Wait, wait, for this is right, now we can go home. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bond servants obey, I have something there I 'm just going to walk on because my kids are here. Bond obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does that this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. And masters do the same and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality in him. Father, would you give us um, insight into your word this morning? That what you say and, and believe about us and what we say and believe about you matters in our house, in our marriage, in our job, And I ask for just in these few minutes that we have together that you would would speak to each of us individually, and it's in your name that we pray, amen. It's September 16th, 1989. It would have started out like any other day at Randall's grocery store. It was an average day in an average store in an average city in America until it wasn't. The employees, if you ever worked at a grocery store, you know that you got to get up early, right? And so the employees were there early, baking the bread, stocking the shelves. This practice that in the grocery business is called facing the shelves. I don't know if you know this, but pulling all the, if the shelves aren't uh, completely full, you pull it to the front. So these employees are doing what they're supposed to do on this average day, this average store in this average town. And the boss showed up little frantic, saying, we got a thing coming. There's this guy, he's in town, he's this important person, so we want to make sure that the store is in pristine condition. So, of course, they're cleaning the registers, they're mopping the floor, they're facing the shelves because they're thinking, man, maybe it's Mr. Randall himself coming here. And so, as they are working hard, they finally see this important guy, this dignitary, outside. He was in town visiting the space station. Some of you might know this story in town visiting the the, the nearby space center. And he is clearly important because he's rolling deep with an entourage, and there is media out there, and they're snapping pictures. And as he walks through the door, the smile on his face turns to utter disbelief and awe. The smile from outside all of a sudden is like he's now, he's slack-jawed, like... And he's walking up and down the aisles. He's never seen so much food in one place in his entire life, right? And he's looking at the aisles, and he's he's walking with the manager and the media. And he asks the manager, "Uh, "Do you what kind of an advanced education does one have to have to to do this kind of food? All these options, and all around us." And and he went from he was like vacillating between completely fascinated and utterly demoralized. And as he's asking these questions, it's, by all accounts, it was the it was the Jello Pudding Pops that did him in. He had never heard of Bill Cosby, but he's looking at the Jello Pudding Pops and is completely blown away by the assortment of rich flavors. And so many of them. <laughs> Realizing that I don't understand how this is possible. Because the man that had gotten there that day was going to get on the plane later that day wondering and questioning everything he'd ever known. He had just uh, been nominated and, and elected as uh, into Soviet Parliament. And as he was flying back, he would land back in Moscow and would resign from the Communist Party. And he would ask himself this question of how is it possible that a country such as ours, uh, this is the exact quote, when I saw those shelves crammed with hundreds and thousands of cans and cartons and goods of every sort, for the first time, I felt sick with despair for the Soviet people. That such a potentially rich country as ours was brought to a state of poverty. It's terrible to think of it. And it was just like that that his loyalty to communism collapsed. And it was two years later into his presidency that the Soviet Union itself would dissolve. And it's true. We've seen the, we've seen the footage that it was Reagan who told Gorbachev to tear down those walls. But in 1989, September 16th, those walls were still standing. And they might still be standing if it weren't for Boris Yeltsin walking through the store in Randall, Texas, and seeing the hardworking people there doing their hard work of stocking shelves, something we would take completely for granted, and a freezer full of pudding pops (laughs) that would change the world forever. And I say that because that's just an average day that obviously was, they had no idea the impact of their work that morning. And when you look at what Paul is saying about work here, it really answers the real question. Because I would think that probably in a church our size that, At least half of us, half of the folks here, probably this isn't what you thought you were going to be doing with your life. Maybe even more. And you wonder, does my work matter? And the good news is is that it does. And what Paul is saying here, we're going to talk about the children next week, but today I just really felt I want to start with this because if 90% of us are going to spend working full-time, you're going to spend more time in your job than even with your kids you're going to spend up to 40-plus hours, 50, 60 hours a week in the job and less with your kids, then let's start with the work. Let's start with what God says about what we're going to spend most of our life doing. And you, obviously, if you're astute, would notice that, well, he's actually saying bond servants. He's talking about slaves. And so I don't want to take the whole message to to talk about this, But I think for decades we've kind of skipped over that, and so some of the enemies of God have taken scripture like this and say, Oh look, the Bible supports slavery. And so before we even get into that, I want to address I just want to address that alone. Because it's really impossible to look at that and think, Well, I wonder what God's really talking about. And so when I when I say that, I I think it's first important to know that in the in the Greco-Roman world, that what a slave or a bond servant was there is not at all the definition that we saw in the the vitriolic hatred, race-based slavery that happened in this country. In fact, when you look back at how slavery was ultimately overturned, think of how historians think. They think every culture throughout all time, throughout all of history, all had slavery. Why would anybody ever think anything other than that? And if you look back on history, it wasn't a political party. But it were Protestants, uh, some Catholics as well, some Quakers that spoke up and, and saw it. And the you know, question, where would they get that idea to, to rise up and to resist this? The answer is they got it from the Bible. Because when this version of slavery, if you guys, I'm sure you've got a copy of the Yale Anchor Bible Dictionary sitting on your shelf. So when you get home, dust it off. <laughs> The Yale Anchor Bible Dictionary actually talks about what slavery meant in those days. It wasn't race-based. It wasn't even class-based. In fact, at a time of when this was going on, it is not unlike most places like Haiti or developing nations now where there literally is no work. There was no government program to fall back on. And so many people would actually sell themselves into slavery because it wasn't viewed as a slavery per se as much as it was i got three board i got three meals a day i got work and in the jewish culture especially they only had a seven year uh, piece of that and so for those seven years once it was up you were set free many would actually stay behind if their masters were good and kind and generous and so in a culture where we have opportunity and we have money and we have you know be anything you want to be go to college it was completely non-existent in that world. And so while it wasn't something that people desired to do or to be, it's not the same as what we would see in our modern society that God abhorred and God hated. And he says, he's speaking to them. He's speaking to Greco-Roman slaves. He's speaking to Jewish slaves. He uses the phrase bond servants. Specifically, a bond servant was somebody who would sign up for, hey, I'll do this for the rest of my life. You've been so good and so kind and so generous that I'll do this for the rest of my life. So those bond servants, and and for those that think, well, that doesn't have any application to me, if the borrower is servant to the lender, $1.3 trillion in student loans as of today, as of when I'm standing here, owned by the government, you can't opt out of them. There's no bankruptcy. There's no freedom from it. $1.3 trillion by people that maybe have waited tables this week. Maybe some in this room. You're sitting on forty and $50,000 in student loans, and you're thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this? I got a degree for something that doesn't even exist anymore. And the Bible has something to say to you as well to say, hey, you know what? This is not unlike at all what the bondservants of those days were. were. We are servants to a government. And he says to you, to bondservants, to you today, that a biblical view of work, that a biblical idea of what God means when he talks about work. He, he basically says two things in here, and this is what we're going to talk about in the few minutes that we have. That God matters to your work and that your work matters to God. And That's important. Because I think a lot of us, I don't know, maybe not you, but I think that asking myself a question when I was sh- shoveling horse poo when I was a kid. Anybody have to work at a sale barn when you were a kid? And, I, you know, it's funny, we have this little farm now and I have my own horses and I had this idea. Well, maybe if it was my poo that, it you know, I own this horse, so maybe it won't be as bad. Truth is, it's still poo. But the question, of back in those days in the sale barn, I'm the twelve year old kid trying to make money for school, for the you know to buy school clothes, and did that? How, how is it possible that that matters to God, and that God matters to that? I'm so blessed right now because I'm one of the few in America, anyway, that I found my way into a place where the Lord is, allows me to get paid to do something that I actually love doing. Like I love waking up and being able to do this. But I recognize that that's not everybody, and I recognize that not all pastors are that blessed. So hats off to you guys. You've made my job super easy. But for those of you that wonder, does my work matter? Does swinging a hammer matter? Uh, We saw each other at Costco yesterday. By the way, Costco makes me crazy. Um, Especially on a Saturday. And especially because my wife's like, hey, could you just pick up a couple things while you're over there? And you know how that goes like, Tracy, if I'd have known you were here, I'd have just, I'd just text you to my list because she had an ample list. But the question of does my work matter is one that's important. And I was really praying this through, and you know we've talked before about the idea that your job matters because you, you get to preach a good sermon with your job performance. But I was looking back over Martin Luther, and I don't study a lot of Luther. I'm not nearly that reformed. But I was looking over Luther and what he taught way, way back about work. And if you've been around a while, his, uh, his teachings through Psalm 145, Psalm 147, it talks about our jobs in a different way. If I were to say this morning, do a, do, a, do a Google search for jobs that serve the Lord. Like just serve the Lord or serve the Lord with all your heart or any sort of a search like that. And the books that you'd probably expect to find are going to be about sell everything you have, go on the mission field, Give up everything, become a pastor, sell it all. And, if, and if, if, if that is your view, if that's what you expect to find, first of all, you're true. it will find it that way. But second of all, it's because we don't have a biblical view of work. That was supposed to be more shocking than it was. <laughs> In my mind, that was more shocking. We don't have a biblical view of work. If we think that it's just about that, selling everything and going. What Martin Luther would say is this. Remember the the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And what Martin Luther would say is that God could make it, you know, he he could rain sandwiches in here right now. He, He has done that in history. He has the ability to drop bread from the sky, but he doesn't instead he uses people like you people like me people from Randall's grocery store in Clear Lake Texas to answer the prayer give us this day our daily bread that when you're stocking the shelves of a grocery store that you are doing god's work that those people as crazy as Costco is to me on a saturday let me tell you who it's crazier for the guys stocking the produce today is Sunday. My daughter is uh, home from college and she'll be serving up the burritos at blue coast up in, uh, up in uh, Franklin there. And And she was dreading it because it's so busy. Saturdays are so busy and it's like the worst kind of busy because it's church people busy. And by the way, if you're a church people tip, tip, well tip for Jesus spoken of as a private, uh, a previous waiter and that thus concludes that public service announcement. But I don't know that my daughter at 19 years old, I I know at 19 years old, I didn't think of it this way. That she thinks about the idea that I am actually the answer to someone's prayer of give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 145, he talks about that I'm going to, I'll feed those that are hungry, I'll feed my people. And he chooses people like, if we are really the hands and feet of Jesus, then we're participating as God in disguise When Doug Phillips, when you run into Doug at Walmart or one of the stores around town, he's throwing up the chips and the Cheetos. He is literally a part of God's food chain to the world. His work matters to God. Psalm 147, he talks about that he secures the gates of the city. And I don't, you know, I'm not Luther, so I don't read it like Luther would have read it. But Luther reading it saying, look, how does God secure? You could plant angels that we could physically see and protect us that way. But that's not what he did. He uses us to provide roads. Derek, the work that you guys do, like providing rocks and sand, that's not just moving dirt. Like you're literally providing security for a city. To put it another way, security for your home, if you're a mom, not all moms get to stay home with their kids these days, but I think it was Elizabeth Elliot that spoke of it this way, that she talked about, that cleaning your home What does the Bible say that God, he he moves disorder to order, that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the water and created order out of disorder moms. Every time, if you're staying home or some of you are stay at home fathers, if you're, when you're cleaning, when you're there, you are taking disorder to order. You're literally partnering with God in his work because the truth is you've all seen an episode of hoarders. If you don't clean it, eventually you you get dead. Like it's not good. So you are literally participating with God because your work matters to him. And if you think about it, there's some implications of that. The work job gap right now, there's 5.8 million jobs. I don't know who does these kinds of numbers, but somebody does that are going unfilled in our country because we are putting our children into schools to get degrees for jobs that no longer exist. But because as well, I don't think that our country is viewing work in a biblical way. We're looking at this as a menial job and this is a great job. So there's all this trained, jobs wide open for people with specific training. And I think that it's a shame to us as a country as well to literally say to a, I mean, you know, Brendan's home from his first year of college. My daughter's home. Some of you are home right now. It starts when you're a freshman in high school. To, what are you going to do now? What are you going to be? Look, when I was a freshman in high school, you know what? I was going to be a bass player. Like, that was what I was going to be. And If you go even younger, what I was going to be was, I, this is kind of embarrassing, but it's absolutely true. I was going to buy a semi, get a chimpanzee, Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Remember this television show? But when I'm seven, that seemed genius to me. Was it BJ and the Bear? Is that what it was? You guys remember that? (laughs) That was before I knew that chimps will bite your face off. Like, I I didn't understand that a chip in a bad mood is bad, bad, bad. But when you're 18, 19, look, and for most of us that have been around a while, when you were younger, you could afford to be wrong with your college you know, $26 a credit hour, whatever. I could afford to take a, a flyer and be wrong. But I would say in a very practical sense that all work matters to God. And there's this advice that we've heard all of our lives, man, follow your passion, follow your heart. Terrible advice. I think it's, is it Mike Rowe that says, don't follow your passion, but wherever you go, let your passion follow you. And what that means is if our passion, which is what I'm about to step into, is that not only does our work matter to God, but God matters to our work, that our passion can follow through with us, whether it's to the oil fields of North Dakota or the mission fields of Jacmel, Haiti. Because God matters to our work. Peter speaks of us as the royal priesthood, right? That we are a kingdom of priests. So that doesn't mean that the only priest in this room is me because I'm standing on a stage. We all are a kingdom of priests. So every day is an opportunity to take your priest to work day. Every day, you know, Ron, I, I know that you've, uh, when Ron comes and fixes mowers, and by the way, when Ron fixes a mower, it saves my children from harm because I get to mow the lawn with it. You're doing God's work. <laughs> Keeps the snakes out of the yard. God said Amen. But when we're going and doing our work, when you interact with Ron at all, he's talking about God and he's talking about his life and wisdom. And and what he's doing is he's being a, a priest in the kingdom of God. And every one of us in every job. And some of them are more obvious. You call 911 to have a late night talk with Jonathan Hobson. It's obvious that that's going to be something that is going to, he's doing God's work. He is literally playing a part in rescuing people. You go to, Mrs. Swain's class at Page. And God knows we need more godly teachers right now. Our government can't even figure what bathroom to go to. We need godly teachers in there to teach us and to invest in our children. When you teach science, Donna, from a biblical worldview, that you are doing God's work. Because you're saying today, this is what the world is saying, but this is what God is saying. You're taking your priest to work that day. And I could go on because I know that there are number crunchers in here and I know that there are those that are pushing brooms. But if we understand this biblical view of work, that our work matters to God and that God matters to our work, then we can no longer view work as as menial or as less than. And you might say, yeah, but Darren, some of these jobs are less than because I can't afford to feed a family in this environment. If you remember the curse wasn't work. Work wasn't although sometimes I think man I'd really like to be sitting on the couch. This work is a curse. Work wasn't the curse. Before Adam fell, there was he was working, he was subduing, he was doing stuff. The curse was the re- the response to work, the results of work. So we live in a society where your work isn't as blessed as it should be. Teachers are dramatically underpaid for the responsibility that we put on teachers in our lives, dramatically underpaid. But that's part of the curse. The work isn't the curse, it's the result of the work that's the curse. And for us as believers, as priests, if we truly believe that our work matters to God and that God matters to our work, that even every day when I go in and I am unappreciated, that I am underpaid, that I can follow Paul's advice and say, but I'm not working for this job anyway. That's not my boss. That's not my master. The government who owns my student loan isn't my ultimate master. It's my father in heaven. It's Jesus Christ, my fellow and co-heir, who understands. And if I am not appreciated or thanked a day in my life, that I can still work with joy, that I can still work with satisfaction, knowing that, There is not a single item on a grocery store shelf that I put there that didn't matter to God. Co laborers with God, bringing His, it's, um, when you think about it, kind of amazing. And the results of that are that I, number one, am not going to, I'm going to finally have a motivation that's eternal. It changes about everything I do, every way I look at this. And in those days when it's hard, because you guys know it. I mean, Jackie's going to school to be a nurse. She started last week, right? Finish Finish the second week. There's going to be hard days on the nurse floor. Hard days where you're going to be with belligerent people. Maybe with belligerent, I, I saw a post not long ago that most people leave their jobs not because of the job, but because of the boss. There's going to be bosses that are unreasonable. That maybe don't even deserve a full day's work. But if I believe that all my work matters to God and that God matters to my work, then I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to preach a sermon about a good God by doing what I it doesn't even seem fair to do. If your job is your ministry, your performance is your sermon. And we get to preach an amazing sermon this week of a good, good father. And you know what else it means? It means that if there's no such thing as menial work, we are in Williamson County. And we are surrounded by people pushing brooms and mowing lawns and washing dishes. If there is no such thing as menial work, if you look down on them, if, if you have a moment, and I might step on some toes, so just, I've got no shoes on, so please, just um, get flip flops. If you have bad service at the restaurant this week, don't go to Facebook and gripe about it. They're servants of God. They're co-laborers with God, with you. Give them a break. If I understand that we're all just part of this kingdom and doing our work for God, then I can have more grace for those who are working in grocery stores. And, and look, I know I've been to Walmart at 10 o'clock and I know there's not enough checkers there. I get it. But their work matters to God. They're co-laborers with you in God's kingdom of putting, answering your prayer of, they give us this day our daily bread. This is a very liberating idea for me. It's very freeing for me to know that in God's economy, in God's kingdom, that there is no such thing as menial work, to know that God does matter to my work. And it's a little convicting, because if you've been around conduit a while, you know what we celebrate. People going. There are goers and there are senders. You can be both, you can be either, but you can't be neither. You you know that. And the convicting part is the realization that celebrating one more than the other is not acknowledging, it's not a biblical view of work. Because by the way, if you're a sender and you're a sender of missionaries, how do you be a sender? With your work. In the kingdom of God, they're both rewarded. In the kingdom of God's economy, both. Are equal. You see that principle over and over again in Scripture. If you just give a, a priest a, a cup of cold water in my name, you get the same blessing. As the prophet, you get the same blessing. You see in the Old Testament that David would send his men to fight, and they saved some behind to protect the uh, to protect the goods, to protect the people, to protect the women. And when the, those that went into the battle came back, those that stayed behind shared in the rewards the same as those who went. In God's economy, the goers and the senders are on equal footing. So as a church, I want you to know that we haven't celebrated those that are working and going into new jobs like maybe we should have. And I hope to make that a part of our culture here. That that your work matters to God. The obvious work, you know, Adrian, your work is obvious in Brentwood the not so obvious work that it all matters to God. And my prayer for us is that this week, that Travis, you take your priest, you're a priest, you're taking it to work with you this week. Doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. Doesn't mean we're always but you're going to be doing work this week that is super important for the kingdom of God. Phil just started a job teaching Phil, Phil sucks at retiring. <laughs> Phil's supposed to be retiring this week or this year. Instead, he's going to Clarksville, which is, by the way, not close to here, to teach a bunch of young men and women carpentry. That, that matters. There are young men and young women whose lives are being built upon right now because of what you're doing. It matters to God. You are a priest Is there any coincidence that Jesus, he could have been anything. He could have been a philosopher. But he was a carpenter. He spent, think about that, the first 30 years of his life swinging a hammer. Do we think that the first 30 years didn't matter as much as the last three? I would suggest to you that they were equal. So this week, would you stand to your feet? I know this felt maybe more practical, but... Honestly, I was planning on skipping it because I, you know, I want to keep talking about missionaries. <laughs>